John 14, 6 through 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, last week we scratched the surface. We just started our exploration of what it means to discern the will of God, to experience God. We talked about the importance of being available to God and moldable to his will. Do you remember that passage from Jeremiah? Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. And we spoke of Jesus as the ultimate example of knowing and doing the Father's will. And it's great to have an example like Jesus. Amen? But I, I think it also helps to have an example like Moses, someone we know wasn't perfect. In Moses, we can see some of our own issues. Hesitation, mistrust, moodiness, and more. Yet we still see someone who can show us a life lived through experiencing God, what that might look like in our context. This pattern of God's working with Moses suggests timeless principles that we can apply prayerfully to our own situation. In Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, Chapter 5, you'll see a pattern called The Seven Realities of Experiencing God. They are, God is always at work around you. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. And God invites you to become involved with him in his work. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. And you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. And lastly, you come to know God by experience as you obey him 
and he accomplishes his work through you. Well, now we're going to see how each of these seven realities worked in Moses' life. First, God was already at work before calling Moses. In Exodus 2, 23-25, we read, During that long period the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, when God remembers something, does it mean that he forgot? No. We get some insight from what the Hebrew word for remember is there. It's sakar, to call to mind, to give attention in due time. It's a purposeful, not a neglectful up until the time of remembering. It's purposeful remembering for the sake of right and timely action. Think of this remembering in this way. A friend or a spouse is tempted to do something that would hurt or dishonor a relationship, and then they purposefully recall the meaningfulness of a relationship that they're in and decide to act accordingly. It's a remembrance based on relationship. And one more note. For God, time is not linear, so the idea that God would temporarily forget something doesn't make any sense. Either God remembers you or does not. Either he is in relationship with you or he is not. The timing of God acting on that relationship is what we, in our limited concept of time, might refer to as remembrance. But that linear way of thinking is foreign to an eternal God. Well, that ties into our next point. Two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with Moses that was real and personal. So God took the initiative in establishing a love relationship with Moses at the burning bush. From there, he promised Moses he would go with him into Egypt. And we find many examples throughout Exodus and Numbers of how God pursued this love relationship with Moses, desiring to spend time with him that would build a strong relationship of trust and security. One example is in Exodus chapter 24, starting with verse 12, then skipping to 15 through 16 and 18, which says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you tablets of stone with the law and the commands that I have written for their instruction. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for forty days and forty nights. Now those forty days and forty nights were for Moses' sake, not God's. It wasn't as if an undecided God and an opinionated Moses were wrestling over which commandments would make the top ten. No, God wanted to cement in Moses' heart, mind, and soul the significance of their relationship. And in doing so, our next point makes clear that God invited Moses to become involved with him in his work. God invited Moses to become involved with him in his work. Exodus 3 8 and 10. The Lord said, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's a bit like being voluntold you're going to do something, 
I mean, did Moses really have a choice, we wonder? However, when the relationship is strong and we want to please God, and we know that God is powerfully with us and strengthens us, why would we not want to be involved in his work? I mean, have you and I got better things to do? I should hope not, especially considering this next truth, that in interacting with Moses, this is the fourth point, God revealed himself. God spoke and revealed himself, his purposes and his ways, and he desires the same thing for us. And for Moses, we see this in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So now Moses knows God's calling on his life. At 40 years of age, Moses tried to figure it out on his own, and it led to 40 years in exile, tending to his father-in-law's sheep. So now he's 80, 80 years old, and God still wants to use Moses. And because God loved Moses and loves us, God gives us the choice after calling us and revealing his will to us. This freedom that we have is what causes tension in our lives. As we see in the next reality in experiencing God is number five, that God's invitation for Moses to work with him led to a crisis of belief that required faith and action. God's invitation to us leads us to a crisis of belief. That requires faith and action, just like Moses. First, let's look at the examples of Moses's crisis of belief in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11, 13, chapter 4, verses 1, 10, and 13. Here's some of what Moses put forward to God after being called. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out and sent me to you? And they asked me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And again later, Moses answered, Well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? And then, Lord, and then Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And finally, putting off all other pretense, Moses said, finally, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. 
But despite all these objections, Moses eventually agrees to be used by God. And despite his initial hesitation, how does God remember Moses? How does God remember Moses? Does he remember his hesitation? No, he recalls Moses' testimony of faith and action. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 29, we read, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, but persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Is this not an encouragement to us? I mean, God understands our hesitations and our unwillingness. God understands what he is asking of each of us, which leads us to the next reality of experiencing God. Number six, Moses had to make major adjustments in his life to join God in what he was doing. Exodus 4, 19 through 20 reads, Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Well, for us, it stands to reason that if we want to be in a different place with God than we are right now, we have to move. God has to move in us. It's not enough for me to recognize that it's a beautiful day outside and want to be in it. I need to get up and go outside if I'm going to experience it. Now, that's a silly example and a ridiculous reduction of this powerful truth, but I, I do it for a reason. It's because God's call on your life is not about staying who you are and where you are. God's call starts with getting straight in your mind whose you are, that you're God's. Amen? And then where you should go, not simply leaving you to decide for yourself what your identity is and where God is going to lead. There is a big lie in our world today that God's love is somehow more loving and sincere if it doesn't demand anything of us, but instead validates our predetermined self-identities. What nonsense. It's because God loves me that he doesn't desire for me to stay mired in my current way of being. No, Moses had to make major adjustments in his life to join God in what he was doing. Why would we expect that we could do less? And finally, we see in the last point of experiencing God of these seven realities, reality seven is Moses came to know God by experience as he obeyed God and God accomplished his work through Moses. And there's many passages throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that illustrate how God revealed himself to Moses. We see in these books a pattern of relationship that is able to accomplish through Moses what Moses could not do himself. Now, the parallel for us is that when you became a Christian and had the Holy Spirit come to reside in you, 
You were given everything you needed to accomplish what God wanted you to accomplish. God started the work within you. That is your salvation. And God wants to continue it to your sanctification. That is the process of being set apart for God's use. Paul wrote of how he prayed for this process and the members of the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When I understand and truly grasp the fact that I am the Lord's servant, a tool in the hand of the master, then my thinking changes. My motivation is not to determine what I can or can't do for God, but it's to discover what God wants to do through me to accomplish his will. You see, the Lord calls out ordinary people like you and me. Peter and John were just fishermen. Uh, D.L. Moody, who's mentioned in the book, Experiencing God, one of the greatest evangelists of the last century and a half was poorly educated, an insignificant shoe salesman who felt the call of God to preach the gospel. What God used to call Moody were the words of a friend who said, you know, the world has yet to see what God could do with and for and through him in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Well, Moody went from there to hearing the preaching ministry of Charles Spurgeon and was further convinced that if God could use Spurgeon, who pastored his first church at 19 years of age, well, that God could use him too. And the rest is history. Interestingly enough, a ministry with which Desert Springs Church has an interest in, Child Evangelism Fellowship, uses a tool for teaching the gospel that was developed by Spurgeon and improved upon by D.L. Moody. Do you know what that is? It's the wordless book. The wordless book, a way of sharing the gospel with people, even if you don't share the same written language or they're illiterate. It has now been used for over 150 years to share the gospel. Developed by a teenage preacher and improved upon by a failed shoe salesman. So yes, you may fairly say to me, Chris, I, I'm not a spiritual leader, or I'm not like Peter or John or Paul or D.L. Moody or Spurgeon, but you missed the point. God doesn't want you to be any of them. He wants you to be who he created you to be and to let him do through you whatever he chooses. You see, when you say you believe nothing significant can happen through you, You've actually said more about your belief in God than you have said about yourself. You have said that God is not capable of doing anything significant for you. The truth is, he can do anything he wants to with an ordinary person who is fully devoted and consecrated to him. So the key for us as ordinary people to do great things for God, well, it's to father, follow the Father's leading just as Jesus did. In response to Thomas's question about where Jesus was going after his death and resurrection, Jesus speaks of his attentiveness to God's work in the world 
and only joining in what he saw God was already doing. It's that gospel passage that we started with reading from John 14. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, just a moment ago, I put forward the challenge, if we want to do great things for God. If we want to do great things for God, that, that then we're going to set ourselves apart. And it's it's easy for us to predetermine what a great thing for God would look like. But the truth is that any small thing done through us by God is a great thing. The key factor in accomplishing things for God's kingdom is not the nature of the tool, but the one wielding it. It's not the quality of the vessel, but what it holds. And as the story goes, it's not the excellence of the instrument that matters as much as the skill of the player. Perhaps you have heard of the poem by Myra Brooks Welch, which goes, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. "'What am I bid, good people?' he cried. "'Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar do I hear too? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow, and wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with his voice that was quiet and low, said, what now am I bid for this old violin? As he held it aloft with its bow. One thousand. One thousand. Do I hear two? Two thousand. Who makes it three? Three thousand once. Three thousand twice. Going and gone, said he. Well, the audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand. What changed its worth? And swift reply came. The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, he is going twice, he is going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul 
and the change that is wrought by the touch of the Master's hand. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you do reach out to touch each one of our hearts and minds and souls and are doing a work in us and around us before we ever notice. Draw our hearts to you, draw our minds to you, draw our souls to you so that we would place ourselves in your very capable hands. And no matter what we think about ourselves, our abilities, our opportunities to affect others for your good and for your kingdom, that in your hands, even the smallest things can have great results. Lord, we thank you that you're always doing your work and that you reach out to us and love relationship and invite us into that work, that you call us and, and cause within us that, that crisis of faith where either we step out into your will for our lives or we shrink back and that you lovingly and patiently keep placing your call before us. For those that have hesitated dedicating their lives to you, Lord, we, we ask that they would come to you, Jesus, and ask for the forgiveness of their sins, the cleansing of all that they've done wrong, and the receiving of the truth that you died for them and their sin and, and were raised again so that they could be in relationship with you. Lord, give them the courage to buck the trend of the world, to ignore what the other voices are saying, and to place themselves in the hand of the Creator, the hand of the Master. Lord, do in and through us what only you can do for the sake of your kingdom. And the glorious thing is then we get to experience you, God, in a way that is profound and life-changing. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.